So I woke up and I grabbed my machete. Self-defense, self-awareness, self-development. This is the Martial Arts Podcast with Phil Elmore. Hello and welcome to the Martial Arts Podcast with Phil Elmore. The Martial Arts Podcast with Phil Elmore is a production of philelmore.com and themartialist.net. I am your host, the aforementioned Phil Elmore. Let's see how many times I can say my name in the opening. I thought uh, this week I might discuss something that uh, many of us fear we might one day have to deal with and that some of us have. I know I have, and I learned some important things when it happened, and that is the proverbial bump in the night. What happens when you're asleep and something happens? Well, I found this out uh, pretty much the most direct way that you can when I heard from across the house my girlfriend's mother shouting that someone was breaking in. Um, let me back up and give you uh, some layout here. Uh, my girlfriend and I live in a house that is set up like a duplex, and on the other side of the house, across a hallway that divides the two, is a completely uh, separate house with its own kitchen and bathroom, and that is where my girlfriend's mother lives. She's... Uh, pretty much independent over there, but it's nice to know that we're here, um, you know, because as, as you know, when, when you have a parent that's getting older, it's nice that, that they have support. Well, my girlfriend and her mother had gone to, I think it was New Jersey by car, and that's a not an inconsiderable distance, not an insurmountable distance, but, you know, a long, tiring car trip. They were gone for a weekend, and I did the house-sitting to take care of the animals, feed the cats and the dog, and so on. The Chernobyl miniseries had just come out on HBO, and I distinctly remember sitting at the kitchen table watching the Chernobyl miniseries on my phone while I sharpened a new machete that I had gotten recently. Um, the machete was dull as a butter knife, so as you can imagine, it takes a long time to reprofile an edge like that. I had one of those hockey puck puck sharpeners that I was using. And I was just doing it by hand. So I was just sitting there honing the machete, taking my time and watching this riveting documentary about an event that I vaguely remember from my childhood. You know, I was in, um, I can't remember the exact year that Chernobyl happened, but I believe I was in high school at the time, maybe junior high, one or the other. I'd have to actually look up the exact date, but that would require show prep and who does that, right? So, I'm watching the miniseries and I'm sharpening that machete. And I remember I sat the machete down in the bedroom on top of my dresser because I think it was because while I was sitting at the table, my girlfriend and her mother got home from their trip. And I just set it there without thinking about it. It was razor sharp by that time. Well, uh, you know, they got home and we did what anybody does after they get home after a long trip. You know, you get something to eat, you relax, you decompress from your travels. And they were both exhausted. And I remember we went to bed relatively early. And I know, because this is how this unfolded, uh, my girlfriend's mother fell asleep on the couch in her living room. That living room faces an enclosed porch, a sunroom, if you will, that has a glass-faced door that locks, and then the sunroom itself is another series of glass windows and another heavily glass door. So while these doors are locked, it's glass, and if someone were to smash their way through the glass, then of course they'd be able to gain entry to the home. This is where point number one of how to defend yourself when you're asleep comes into play. You see, this is something that has plagued mankind 
Uh, it's been part of the human condition since humans, humans, human, I can talk really since humanity was first birthed onto this planet. However, you believe that happened. Um, it is not possible to defend yourself while you're asleep. You are helpless when you are asleep. So humanity early on organized itself as tribes. Probably there was somebody on the lookout to make sure that the rest of the sleeping tribe didn't get eaten. You know, in this weird, I have a confession to make. My conception of what early human beings was like is pretty much based on the Ringo Starr movie Caveman. If you're not aware of this movie's existence, it's a comedy starring Ringo Starr, and I believe the guy who played Bluto in the William Robin Williams Popeye film. I think it was that same guy. And Ringo Starr plays a caveman. They invented a caveman language for the film. It features some truly terrible stop-motion animation dinosaurs. It's a ridiculous movie. Um, it's there was a there was a prehistory movie featuring um, oh what the heck are their names Jonah Hill and that kid that you get when you can't get. Um, the other guy, Michael Sarah, I think it is. Yeah, there's there's Michael Sarah, and then there's the kid who was in Zombieland who looks just like him. And when you can't get one, you get the other. Well, I believe it was Jonah Hill and Michael Sarah, and they did like a prehistorical comedy film, and it really reminded me in tone of Ringo Starr's Caveman, a movie you've probably never heard of. But my point is that everything I picture when I picture prehistoric humanity is built on that Ringo Starr movie, and maybe a little bit of Daryl Hannah's Clan of the Cave Bear. So you might say I'm not operating with a really accurate working knowledge of how history was. But I believe that, you know, the human condition being what it is, obviously you can't protect yourself when you're asleep. So you either find a really secure place to sleep, like a, I don't know, a cave where you can put something in front of the opening to keep the saber-toothed tigers or something from eating you in your sleep. You either do that or you have a lookout. And that guy doesn't sleep while he's watching out for the whatever it is that's alive at the same time that humans are. I know that there's the evolution being what it is. There's some things that don't quite line up there, but if you don't have someone to look out for you, you are at a disadvantage. And that's why for survival, humans are social creatures. It's very hard to survive as a, as the proverbial lone wolf. And uh, I believe that this is also why feudal warlordism happens because uh, in any place where you remove any kind of controlling governmental authority and anarchy is created, it's really hard to get a good night's sleep when you live in anarchy. So humans will naturally gravitate towards strongman figures, towards warlords, towards any kind of uh, authority that can represent protection, no matter how uh, totalitarian that authority might be. And that's why in places of total power vacuum, you get the rise of warlords, like in, uh, like in Somalia, places like that. So, well, this got really political really fast, and I'm just talking about home defense. But the fact is, you as a modern human being, theoretically, the veneer of civilization under which we live prevents just armed gangs from assaulting your house with, you know, pickup trucks with machine guns in the beds. But because you still might be the victim of the predations of individual bad actors, you need to harden the outer layer of your home as a defense. So the, the, you arrange your home defense in layers that are meant to give you time to wake up and react. It's not uh, most of the time when somebody attacks you, it won't be when you're wide awake and standing in front of the door with your handgun in your hand going, 
someone's out there. You know, most of the time when something happens, it's going to be, you know, it's going to come as a surprise. You need what they call reactionary gap. You need time to react to that threat. So hardening the outer layer of your home, having motion detector lights, having, uh, you know, locks on your doors, multiple locks, reinforcing the sometimes cheese ball lock mechanisms that the default uh, home has, you know, they say uh, like a hollow core door is pretty fragile. It's pretty easy to kick those in. There's things you can do. You can replace your front door. You can replace how certain things are built by reinforcing them. And, and whole books have been written about this topic of reinforcing your home. Um, I know that uh, I think Jason Hansen has some stuff on home defense. And I know that there's, I've seen all kinds of affiliate offers for ebook products that are all about the steps you can take to harden the outside of your house. Uh, and you know, it's all pretty conventional advice. It's good advice to take. What you're doing is you're creating rings of defense outside your house that give you time to wake up and react when the bump in the night happens, because you want the bump in the night to happen outside and work its way in. Well, that's what was happening. <laughs> Because I'm asleep, I'm dead asleep, uh, and suddenly, from the other side of the house, my girlfriend's mother starts shouting, somebody's breaking in, somebody's breaking through the window, somebody's breaking in. Well, the way I was picturing that was, somebody's obviously coming in through the sun porch. If she's asleep in her living room, and she would have to be for us to hear her shouting, because it's on the other side of that little hallway, um... If that's what's going on, then clearly they must be coming in through the sun porch and working their way through the glass from the outer glass door to the inner glass door that lets itself into the living room. These are all thoughts that I had later. In the immediate term, I was asleep. So I know because she told me that I think my girlfriend like reached over and, and, and whacked me one to wake me up because I, I didn't I sleep really heavily. You know, I have a CPAP machine, the the pressure differential that it creates and the very light white noise that it creates. Plus, I sleep very deeply uh, anyway, because now I sleep With the, without the CPAP machine. I didn't I was not in a good way, but I've had it for years now. And so I was, you know, I'm in dreamland. I'm perfectly happy. I'm I'm very, you know, la, 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 la. I'm sleeping. And all of a sudden she whacks me and goes, mom is shouting. And I hear her. I, I, I it gets through my brain that. My girlfriend's mother is shouting for help. I immediately fall out of bed and land on my shoulder with all of my body weight. Just thud. It was unpleasant. But because I had the adrenaline that is, someone is attacking the house, I immediately sprang up and looked for pants because I wasn't wearing any. This brings me to point number two. Point number one is when it comes to defending your home, especially at night, you have to have layers of defense. Well, point number two is you won't necessarily wake up right away. And that's important because if you won't necessarily wake up right away, you need to allow for the fact that it's going to take you time to become, for your soul to re-enter your body, for you to become conscious and acting in uh, what we would consider a rational, reasonable way. Because, uh, you know, if you are asleep when you're operating things like weapons, bad things can happen. My father, uh, during most of the later part of his life, uh, kept a gun in a drawer next to his bed. Uh, I believe it was a three fifty seven revolver. Um, might have been a, a Ruger GP100. I can't remember. He did like Rugers. Anyway, that's not important. 
but he would, if he forgot to put, he, he used to take it out of a safe and put it in the drawer. The idea was that if the gun was in the drawer, it would take him enough time to get up and access it that he would have time to wake up. It's not like, you know, heaven help you putting a gun under your pillow where you're very likely to shoot yourself. I mean, at the very least, if you've got a gun under your pillow, there shouldn't be a round chambered. And if it's a revolver, heaven help you, because I'm not certain you wouldn't necessarily grab that and, and shoot it uh, while you're trying to wake up. I, I remember when I first got my CPAP machine, I don't know why this keeps coming back to that, but go with me. When I first got my CPAP machine, I would pull the mask off at night while not being fully awake, not really being conscious of what I was doing. If you've ever been told that you had a conversation with somebody after they woke you up briefly in the night and you have no memory of that, that's because you weren't actually awake. So allow for certain distance and mechanics to force you to come awake. There should be, it should be necessary for you to have to wake up fully in order to access wherever you keep a deadly weapon. Um, in my case, what I ended up doing is mounting a machete to a piece of furniture that is near the bed where I can access it, but I have to be awake to get to it. And like, machete? What are you talking about? Well, let me get to that. Let me continue with my story. So uh, my girlfriend's mother is now shouting that someone is breaking in, and as far as we know, that is exactly what is happening. So I pulled on pants shoved my feet into a pair of uh, shoes and grabbed the machete. This is, this is Chekhov's machete, you know, the, the rule for Chekhov's guns. If there's a gun on the wall in the first act of the play, it must go off in the third. Well, I was sharpening that machete and apparently the universe knew that I was going to need it later because the machete that I had just casually set aside on my dresser was right there. So I grabbed it and shirtless, wearing pajama bottoms and a pair of shoes, I ran... No, actually, it might have been real pants, come to think of it. Either way, I was wearing some pantal... <laughs> pantal category garment. Pantaloons! Anyway, so with the machete, this razor-sharp machete in hand, I went running into the night out the front door. My thinking was, the way the house is laid out, the sun porch has an enclosed area beyond it that is fenced in. It's not locked. It's just meant for my uh, uh, girlfriend's mother's dogs to be able to go out and do their business in safety. Uh, they're little dogs, so walking them would be kind of a problem. So they just go out there and they do their thing and they come back in through a little pet door. That pet door is not big enough to admit a human being, but the door is glass. They could easily have smashed through it. So the way I was picturing in this is the... The miscreant, the ne'er-do-well, the home invader, the brigand who has made his way onto our property must have come through that enclosed area, broken his way into the sun portion, was apparently working his way on breaking in through the inner door to get to the living room where my girlfriend's mother was asleep or had awoken to this disturbance. So I ran around the front of the house with my machete, perfectly convinced that when I saw this guy, he might be armed, and I would have a split second to make the decision, is my life in danger? Do I need to plant that machete in a sort of an angle one across his neck and collarbone kind of a thing to stop him from killing me with whatever weapon he's got? Because clearly, if he's breaking into the house, this is probably a violent home invader. And you, you have a few splits, splits, a few fractions of a second to make that decision. And all of that was sort of racing through my head on, on high speed. <laughs> 
you know, just all of a, just this sudden immediate, like I'm running into the night with my machete. Here's what I'm going to do. And I've got to make this decision and I don't want to go to prison. And boy, all of this is horrible. <laughs> Which brings me to point number three. You need to have discussed these situations ahead of time. My girlfriend and I had never <coughs> discussed what we would do if the home was invaded. Uh, it just never occurred to us to talk about it. I am blessed by the fact that she has good instincts. And when stuff like this has happened, I, I told the story of how somebody tried to mug us once outside of a bookstore. And her reactions were perfectly reasonable and correct. They were the things you should do. So uh, it's good that you know she's a, a very uh, grounded person who has good common sense and knew exactly you know, what she should do. But you don't want to have to count on that. You don't want to just hope that things will go the way you want them to. You want to have had this conversation before an, an emergency actually happens. You know, discuss, like, if someone tries to break in, here's what I'm going to do. Here's the, the weapons we have available to us for self-defense. Um, here's how we will divide up the responsibilities. And that brings me to point number uh, four, which is divide up the responsibilities for home defense. We didn't talk about this. Had we, it would have worked out exactly the way it happened. Because while I was playing hero, running out into the night with my razor sharp machete, my girlfriend was calling 911. The first thing she did was go to her mother's uh, side to, to be there with her and theoretically shout into the night, you know, we're calling the cops, get away, get away, because this person hadn't entered the room fully yet. The way we were picturing this was he's out on the sun porch breaking a glass trying to get into the living room area. So she went not only to be there with her mother, uh, but also to, you know, try and dissuade this person while on the phone to 911. Uh, that's the thing we hadn't discussed. And it didn't occur to me to dial 911 first. My first thought was if someone's breaking in, there's no time to call. I need to go do something. Well, I was going and doing something. She was calling 911, as you should, so that all these things were happening simultaneously. And that brings me to point number five. And that's what you do when law enforcement shows up. So, I've got my machete. I am ready and willing to plant that thing in whatever home invader has dared to try and enter the sanctity of our home and, and harm my girlfriend's mother. And I burst into that, that enclosed fence area expecting to see a door shattered and i've got my machete and there's nothing there and boy that'll bring you up short when when what you're expecting to happen isn't what happened so i think i probably walked around the outside of that part of the house to make sure that my suppositions weren't incorrect you know that maybe he was somewhere else some other window was broken nothing um and probably looking back probably what happened was because they were both exhausted, my uh, girlfriend's mother fell asleep on the couch and had a dream that she was right where she was when she fell asleep, that someone was busting in through the door. So when she woke up, there was no way to tell that this was a dream and not reality. And I've, I've had dreams like that, dreams you're convinced are real, that are happening in a realistic setting. So, and I would much rather that she wake up and call the alarm rather than go, oh, I'm sure it's probably fine, and then some guy is breaking in. But there, there was no guy, and most importantly, there was no broken glass. So the cops showed up. The cops in our area are really nice. I've talked to them a couple of times on unrelated matters. I don't want you to get the idea that I'm some sort of you know, uh, neighborhood phone Karen. Like We only call them when we absolutely need them, and I try not to bother them unnecessarily. But we have a good relationship with them. They're friendly people. 
Um, I've talked to one lady a couple times. I think I've relayed this in other podcasts. There was an incident, a domestic violence incident that happened in front of our house where some kid got into an argument with his girlfriend, threatened to punch her, like raised his hand to punch her, and then took her phone and chucked it across a lawn. And uh, either we or, I know that we called the cops, but I think other people did too because they were making quite a ruckus out there. And when the cops showed up, the kid, the, the male, tried to fight the police. Never a good choice. So they stuffed him in a cop car pretty fast um, and, and hauled him away. And while they're stuffing him in the car, he and the girlfriend are professing their love for each other. They're star-crossed Romeo and Juliet. I love you. What's your name? Oh, I love you too. Remember me when I'm in prison or wherever they took him. <laughs> I mean, it would probably, in the grand scheme of things, was not all that serious. But So we had interacted with the police before. And always be direct and polite when you talk to the police. Tell them exactly what happened. Don't embellish. Don't talk their ears off. Just give them the information they ask for um, and be polite. And that's exactly what we did. And uh, I remember she came in. She looked around. She looked for broken glass. She went down into the basement with me to check other doors in the house that could conceivably maybe be points of entry. We made sure that everything was secure and there was no evidence of anyone having broken in. Uh, and then she said, thank you. We thanked her and she left. So this whole sequence, this whole thing was pretty much the best, um, what would you call it? Run through that you could ask for. Uh, it was sort of like a dress rehearsal for what you do when someone is invading your home. Cause we do the same thing, uh, you know, either way, we hadn't discussed it before. We got lucky in a few cases. My girlfriend has good instincts, but it all worked out. And so now we've refined that plan a little bit. What I did was I mounted a machete near the bed. Um, you know, she's not comfortable with firearms. I respect that. I mounted a machete near the bed um, and we're good to go. Uh, I have reinforced the locks. We have security, a security system in place. Uh, we've put beware of dog stickers on the windows, which I think gives like the Uber Eats people a little bit of pause, but we do have a very large uh, dog and th the dogs were a big factor in figuring out that nothing bad was happening because not only do we have a big, large defensive dog, you know, the kind of dog who, when he barks, like people, whenever someone approaches the house, the dog will bark, and it's one of those deep barks that you're like, eh. I don't know if you've ever seen a Beware of Dog sticker combined with the barking, <laughs> but it, it really makes you go, I don't want anything to do with what's on the other side of that barrier. Um, so we have that, and as I mentioned before, my girlfriend's mother has a couple of little dogs. They're little dogs, they're, you know, the lapdog size, but they bark whenever anyone comes anywhere near the house. Well, none of the dogs sounded the alarm. And uh, this is how I've caught many a delivery driver who claims to have knocked, who couldn't be bothered and just shoved a slip in the mailbox and said, oh, I tried. I called the post office once to complain. We had a, a, a postal worker who I think he got fired um, because he was coming later and later and later in the evening. He was getting here at like eight o'clock at night, which is ridiculous when it comes to mail. But he would do things like claim that he knocked and then not knock. Well, I knew for a fact because I was home that the dog would have barked. He barks whenever a truck goes by, much less somebody knocking on the door. Uh, so when I called to complain, they're like, yeah, you're not the first person who says he knocks too softly. And I'm like, yeah, probably not at all in this case. 
So the fact that the dogs didn't bark told me that probably there was nobody. And it was further confirmation that this was, you know, that she'd had a dream and woke up from it thinking that it was really happening, which, you know, that happens. So it was a good run through. We, we, the best part is I was a hero. You know, I was, this was relatively early in our relationship. So, you know, my girlfriend discovered that I was the kind of guy who would run out into the night with a machete with no shirt on, ready to face the danger, man. So she told that story to all her coworkers and to anybody who would listen. And because she's super nice, she left out the part where I whined about my shoulder for the rest of the weekend. Because, man, I hurt myself really badly. I rolled right out of bed and landed on myself. Um, and, and, oh, it was, and I've hurt that shoulder before years ago. I went to, it was, I can't remember if it was one of Craig Douglas's ECQC classes, or if it was a similar class done by, uh, Craig, uh, not Craig, um, done by MDTS, uh, Chris Fry, who hosted, uh, Craig's events at the same location. I remember where I was, but I don't remember which class it was we were doing the the types of exercises where you're on the ground and someone is approaching you and you have to fight them off of you. Uh, and some of that involves lying on your back and kicking at them, things like that. And, you know, some of these were, you'd end up getting taken down in the course of the, uh, course of the exercise. And, uh, at one point, uh, Chris, who's a super nice guy, a really gifted teacher. Uh, he's, you know, he's, he's big like me, but he's in good shape. <laughs> He would probably argue because he makes a lot of self-deprecating comments, but he's in, he's in good shape. He's a big guy and I'm just fat. And he landed on me at one point and my, my arm got folded over and I hurt my shoulder and that took months and months to feel better. It was my own fault for, for messing it up. So I'm a little whiny when it comes to landing on my shoulders anyway. And my girlfriend was like, Oh, he did this heroic thing. And she never once told him about me complaining about, I hurt my shoulder. And I am my own worst enemy, man. A couple of times I've fallen from being klutzy, and only the fact that I learned breakfalls a thousand years ago has saved me from getting seriously hurt. It happened once when I was walking out of a building where I was working at the time, and they had installed a step where one hadn't existed before. So I stepped out expecting a level plane, and I got a step down, and I went immediately went down on the sidewalk, and I rolled and did some ninja nonsense, and I ended up on my back having done the breakfall, and I'm looking up at the sky, and I'm in a puddle at the edge of the parking lot. I'm like, what just happened? And then most recently, it happened again. I was walking to uh, pick up my car from where I was having it serviced, and it's not too far away, so I'm, I'm walking to get the car, and I tripped. I don't know. I think my ankle just kind of folded out from under me, as sometimes they do, except that I was on perfectly level pavement. And so I just went down. And I went down, and it you know, knocks, the, knocks the breath out of you. So I'm down there like a turtle, like, what just happened? And again, I had done a break fall, so I was not injured. But, you know, I'm not doing my shoulders any favors by constantly doing this to myself. And then because I was, you know, the, the wind had been knocked out of me by me landing on me, there was a, a light pole where the controller is for the walk, don't walk sign. And I grabbed onto it and pulled myself into a standing position. And as I'm basically hugging the light pole going, what just happened to me? It occurred to me that I probably looked drunk out of my mind to anyone driving by. <laughs> and so that was, that was sobering. But, you know, and I continued and got my car and everything was fine. By the way, if your car ever develops a, um, a rattle that sounds like it's dying, it, sometimes it's the heat shield. 
They they rose that thing up. I know I'm off on a tangent here. There's nothing to do with this podcast, but they put my car up on the lift, and the guy, the guy, bless his heart, he's an old school mechanic. He's smoking a cigarette while he's telling me this. He's like, "Hey, come here, look at this," and he points at the the heat shield. He's like, "Yeah, that's that's your problem. There's no way to mount it back up there. The bolts are all pulled out. We're just gonna pull it off." And I'm like, "Okay, is that all right? Do I need one?" He's like, "You got any idea how many of these I pull off in a year? It's fine." So. Pulled the heat shield off, and we were fine. So, anyway, uh, the five points that we've covered in defending your home, and especially allowing for your reactions when you are asleep. Uh, number one, make sure you have a layered defense so that somebody standing over you is not the first indication that there's an invasion. Number two, understand that you're not going to wake up immediately and make allowances for the fact that you need time for your soul to get back into your body when you've been asleep. Uh, number three, discuss your home defense plan with the other people that you're living with, if there are some. Uh, if you live alone, I guess there's no one to talk to. But if there's other people involved, make sure they know what the plan is. And then number four, divide, divide responsibilities accordingly so that one of you can be calling 911 while the other of you is dealing with the problem. And finally, number five, when law enforcement does respond, be direct, be polite, don't embellish. Just tell them what happened and they will be there to help you. All right, I hope you found this amusing. I think I've done, successfully strung that story along for the, the duration of this podcast so that hopefully you would want to listen. So uh, this has been the Martial Arts Podcast with Phil Elmore. I have been the aforementioned Phil Elmore. Until next time, pretend I said something cool here. This has been the Martial Arts Podcast with Phil Elmore. Visit us online at linktree slash Elmore.